idiots. Like Casey says, fella ain't got a soul of his own, just a little piece of a big soul. The one big soul that belongs to everybody. Then... Then what, Doc? Then it don't matter. I'll be all around in the dark. I'll be everywhere. Wherever you can look. Wherever there's a cop beating up a guy. I'll be there. I'll be in the way kids laugh when they're hungry and they know supper's ready. And when the people are eating the stuff they raise and living in the houses they build, I'll be there too. I don't understand it, though. Me neither, Ma, but just something I've been thinking about. You're listening to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary on everything. From sports to gardening, from good food with close friends, to great music and movies. Provided by your hosts, Justin Ackerman, the millennial, Cody Stoffer, the reluctant Gen Xer, and Craig Morton, the token baby boomer. These guys are allergic to big words, but not to big ideas. Profound things will be said, but they will be entirely by accident. Thanks for checking out episode number 11 of the All That's Holy Blue Collar podcast. On this episode, we introduce our newest host, Christina Marfis. The hosts talk about everything from books to politics, uh, drinking, all sorts of fun stuff. Getting in fights over tennis, you don't want to miss this. We also finish up our interview with Dr. Thomas J. Ord, and we feature the music of Depeche Mode, The Shins, The Cold War Kids, Minus the Bear, and Andrew Day. I guess I'm emceeing this thing, so uh, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking we do... 15 minutes of banter, 5 minutes confession, 5 minutes Eucharist, 5 minutes 2-minute warning. Okay. 5-minutes, 2-minute warning. Well, we usually tend to go a little and long yeah. on that. We do. We do. We're, ver- so, we're, um, ver- we're verbose. So, uh, I learned you know, a new baby- word today, verbose. <laughs> oh, you've known it. <laughs> I know, just kidding. You cannot be a preacher and not know the word verbose. <laughs> yeah, very true. that's true. You, you, at least it's been addressed toward you, I'm sure, at least once in your career. <laughs> that's how I had to look it up. Hey, wait a minute, you just called me verbose. Hang on. Let me look it up. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, so here's what we can talk about during banter. We will talk about Christina, as if she isn't here. That's doesn't sound like very much fun, but okay. Just kidding. <laughs> um, hey, you, you know what we need to do, Cody? What? We need to get Lisa to re-record oh, yeah. uh, an intro. Yes, with uh, Christina's name yeah. in now. Yes, that's right. Get, get me in the intro. That's right. You're a part of the team now. Oh, this is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try not to let you down. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, joke's on you, because too late. Yeah, oh, you're in. Already signed the contract. Oh no! <laughs> and she's already let down, as I think is what. Oh well. No, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> we're, it's all. It's like we're all stuck with everybody. We're, it's life. It's how it is. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So that, that reminds me of something really profound I was reading earlier, but I'll save it for later. Wait, wait, what? Okay, fine. <laughs> save it. Save it for later. 
Okay, so and then also uh, among our topics, I suppose we could talk about anything political we want. So I don't know what you guys uh, are touching on. There's the transgender bathroom issue. I am writing about that today. (laughs) Okay. There is uh, what else is going on? Well, today Trump made a speech at the CPAC already. Yep. Yep. I guess it was as you would as you would imagine. <laughs> yeah, I was I was listening to bits and pieces of, on on NPR this morning, yeah. and they were they were reporting on the speech without quoting the speech, saying just like, "Oh, uh, he's talking about his margin of victory." Then they go on for other news. <laughs> oh, he's now talking about uh, how bad the media is, and it's like, "Oh, okay, so like, no news, like nothing new, nothing new." My golly, gosh. Now, now, but one of the things, one of the things that uh, uh, the Trump administration may do positive. Hey, are we recording yet? Yeah, we're recording. Okay, (laughs) we're going into this, baby. So, one of the things the Trump uh, administration may do for us, uh, got to be careful how we word this. So, so the podcast is actually part of a five hundred one c three corporation, right? Right, right. So, not. uh, endorse any political candidate. Right. But since Trump wants to get rid of the uh, Johnson Amendment, which had to do with 501c3s endorsing political candidates. Oh, hey. Then, hey. then, then we could go ahead and just do as much Trump bashing as we want. <laughs> which, <laughs> But we're not there yet. We don't yet. do that. We don't do that. We're not there yet. So... No, he 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 bashes himself enough. <laughs> That's true. Uh, At least there's that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So one thing that we were thinking about talking about was the idea that uh, we could, at any moment, pick something, but it's out of date within the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what? Yep. Yeah, so, uh, talk to me a little bit about how is your head taking all of this right now. Whoever wants oh, to Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I, I think that varies day by day. Yeah. It, it certainly is overwhelming. Um, I, I mean, you know me. I used to be a journalist, and mm-hmm. I'm a huge news junkie, right. and I have never had to kind of withdraw myself from the news cycle before like I have had to in the last few months just oh, for yeah. the sake of my own mental health. Yeah. <laughs> same here. It's, <laughs> yeah. I, I think a lot of people are in that same boat. That's certainly not exclusive to me. Do you, do you find yourself getting kind of a almost like an adrenaline rush when the news begins? Like, oh no, what's going to be the latest? Um... <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, when I, I I'm very Twitter addicted, and so one of the first things I do when I wake up in the morning is just kind of scroll through my Twitter feed and see what the headlines for the day are. And a lot of times there will be just a hashtag that is repeating on my timeline without a lot of explanation. And I always get kind of like a queasy feeling in my stomach when I see that because hashtags usually mean something bad happens. So, so now are you a follower on Twitter of uh, the real Donald Trump? Donald? I'm not, I I can't do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have, I have, I have his, uh, his, his Twitter feed pinned, but not followed. Mm. So it's like the first thing you see. So I, well, no, I definitely not. I I pray first. (laughs) Um, <laughs> but I just couldn't couldn't start the day that way. No, but but I refuse to let him have my number as a follower number. You know, right? Exactly. Right. Yep. But I I am curious. What is he tweeting at four a.m.? Uh, <laughs> I know. Well, somebody I guess, will report on it soon enough. So 
Right. That's kind of how I feel. I don't need to follow it myself. The important things get plenty of media coverage. One of the things I heard last not night important things. On, on Rachel Maddow, I don't know if you guys are Rachel Maddow fans, but mm-hmm. I am. But she was talking about during the during the raid in Yemen, mm-hmm. um, Trump, during the raid, that's when Trump was tweeting that he was going to be on um, oh, the Christian Broadcasting Network's news program. I mean, what? here's his first shot at being in the Situation Room, being aware of what's going on, and he's checked out playing on Twitter. Uh. And the things he's tweeting are, look at me, I'm going to yeah. be on TV, check it out. Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, that was the one that the tweet ended with, uh, you know, in all caps, enjoy. Oh, my oh boy. <sighs> well, but, I mean, that's only part. So, so tell us, tell us some more about yourself, Christine. So you, because you, you did say you used to be a journalist. Yes. What are you now? Let's introduce our voices first. Remember, Craig. Uh, remember, Craig. That's me. <laughs> Craig. I'm Cody, and our new host, Christina. All right, now go. <laughs> oh wait, 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 wait. Crash test, crash oh, test, Craig. Crash test, Craig. We don't. Uh, Codemaster, Codeman. There you go. That's good. And Christina. <laughs> We're working on Christina's nickname. Uh, no nickname for me yet. That's okay. Uh, it, they have to be earned anyway. So right, it's got to come naturally. You can't force that. That's right. Exactly. <clears throat> now, what was your question, Craig? Oh yeah. So she used to be a journalist. What, Christina? What are you now? Uh, now I, uh, I guess the best thing to call it would be a comedy writer. Hey. Oh. Hey. Um, I, I think that's as close to my job description as you can get. Um, I write for a variety of websites covering trending news, but generally with a humorous slant. With a bit of a twist, a sarcastic bent. <laughs> Plenty of sarcasm. <laughs> so leaning towards sarcasm, not satire. So it's not like the onion. No, it is not satire. I, I definitely write real news. No fake news. <laughs> no hashtag fake news from me. Real news. Uh, wow, that's cool. What yeah. is that? <laughs> <laughs> How do we know real news when we see it? What's the test, Christina, from a journalism's, uh, journalist's perspective? I need like an entire hour to get into that alone, but you know, I, I I seriously think that would be a very interesting topic for a future podcast. Yeah, would hey, be. I have a person that we can chat with about that. I think that would be very cool. Uh, the awesome. director of the journalism program at Boise State is still Perfect. a good friend of mine, and he would be so great for that. Awesome. Okay, I love it. Bringing stuff yeah. to the game already. Hey. You know, because people are using that as a as an excuse not to um, to listen to somebody else, rather than right. to to go through evidence. You know, what where where is it cited from? How has it been vetted? You know, does there is it co- corroborating with other stories? I mean, it's just it's just such a offhanded remark. Yeah. It is. It is, and. Nice. I would say the the short answer to that is just to always look at the source. There are certain news sources that are always reliable and dependable, but then I'll, I'll encounter somebody who is trying to tell me that the New York Times is fake news, and I just don't even know what to come back with. Yeah, to that. But well, like, I I don't even know how to talk to a person who right. thinks that the New York Times is fake news. Right, right. So, but here's the other the, the challenge is that we live in America, where 
everybody could read the side panel of a box of Cheerios to decide whether or not they wanted, and they won't even do that. So yeah. they're probably not going to investigate a masthead, a board of directors, trying to find out who's reporting, right. you know, right. reporting the news. Right. We're lazy news consumers. Oh, we sure are. Oh, uh, boy. Uh, but, okay, so, Christina, you are writing on uh, your uh, different news. What are some of the news sites we can go check you out at? Um, SheKnows.com is kind of my bread and butter these days. I am, no, uh, knows K-N-O-W-S, not yes. N-O-S-E. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a like a feminist sort of news site that has been really fun to write for. Um, yeah, I, that's the main one. The other ones are kind of, you know, I'll write articles and then pitch them to websites, so it's pretty inconsistent. Okay, sure. And... Uh, you got something coming up though, huh? This year, that's pretty awesome. I do, I do. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, since all of my work is on the internet, mm-hmm. I am becoming a full-time digital nomad, which yeah. is you know, basically like a glorified homeless person, but a lot cooler. <laughs> <laughs> you are uh, in part of a project called uh, oh, what is the name of it? Um, it's called Remote Year. Remote Year, yes. Yes. So for. An entire year, I will travel the world with 74 other digital nomads, and we'll all travel together and work together and collaborate on projects, and we're going to 10 different countries. It's going to be really cool. That That is is so cool. cool. Wow. I'm pretty excited. So, yeah, in a few months, I'll be podcasting from some exotic location somewhere. Uh, Is it like a month in each spot or something like that? Is that the idea? Yeah. um, It's at least a month in each spot. Some places, it's a little longer. So do you, um, do you have the list of different places in mind already, or is it that not yet confirmed? No, I do. I have an itinerary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't have first? it. I don't have it memorized. So you got to give me a second oh. to to <laughs> Google it. Oh, you don't need to tell us the whole list, but you know. Uh, the the first place I'm going is Croatia. Oh, sweet. Whoa! Yes. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm you're pretty. in exchange. Like, what, okay, so what's your responsibility? So you're working on projects. Is it Reporting projects? What is it? Uh, yeah, I'll basically do the same job that I have now. Um, I'll keep working for the websites that I doing my freelance writing that I do currently, and that's how I, I pay my bills and you know pay for like my rent and my travel. And at the same time, I'll be you know living within this community of other people who are a similar age and who are also you know there's writers and there's photographers and designers and. Um, I'll be working with them on like service projects in each place that we go and mm, awesome. collaborative projects. A lot of new like apps and websites and programs come out of this every year, which is really cool. Oh, that's so cool. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like yet. I'll have a better idea once I meet people and start working, but no. I know it's going to be a huge adventure. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. So, so when you get to Croatia, I, I don't know how much travel you're going to do in the region, but if you have it, are you going to go into Bosnia and, and those places as well, or are you going to be located exclusively in, in Croatia? Well, I will have a place to live provided for me in Croatia. <laughs> um, I, I have the option to travel regionally around the countries that we go to, but I'm not, I, I keep going back and forth on that because there's a lot of cool places that I would like to see. But at the same time, I want to take advantage of this program for what it really offers, which is the chance to really immerse myself in one place right. for an entire month. Right. Mm, yep. Well, if you if you ever have a chance to go to a place called Mostar, 
in, in Bosnia. Okay. Um, there is, there's the rubbles of a bridge. There's a rubble left of a bridge that was destroyed during the war. And I, but the bridge had been there since, um, the 15th century. Oh, that's so cool. And, and the bridge, um, the story of the bridge is that it was the place where Jews, Muslims, and Christians could meet in peace. Mm. And that's the, really cool. This bridge was this symbol of, of long lasting peace for centuries. And then during the war, it was destroyed. And it was, it's, there, there's, there's some powerful, you know, legends and stories that go along with the Bridge of Mostar, but, um, yeah. One of those places that's, I've wanted to see. That's very, very cool. See, this is why I have Craig on this show here. Yeah. He just pulls that stuff out of thin air. That's excellent. Yeah, that, that might be worth a side trip. That sounds like a really cool thing. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, man. Yeah, so we're going to be, uh, yeah, you'll be updating us from the, well, I, I guess the road, from the road in another country yes. throughout the year. That would be awesome. Probably in the middle of the night a lot of the time. <laughs> yep. That's uh, cool. Yeah. Well, who knows what time it will be. Yeah, right. You'll be waking up all those other folks you're traveling with. Yeah, really. I have to stick with my, my West Coast work schedule for a lot of my websites. So oh, yeah, no kidding. I'll be working a lot of night shifts. Ah. Well, you know, you're uh, you're like Justin. You can go on an hour of a sleep a night, right? Uh, maybe a little, maybe like two or three. Okay, all right. Uh, all right, um, and you're leaving uh, when? Like pretty soon, a couple months? Uh, yeah, I'm actually leaving Boise in the beginning of May and spending some time with family. And then mm-hmm. I need to be, I think my first day in Croatia is May 28th. May 28th. All right. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. When you say leaving Boise to go spend time with family, where's family at? Like in? Uh, I'm actually meeting my mom in Chicago first, and we're going to do a little vacation. You're going to see Hamilton, aren't you? Yes. Yes, we got Hamilton tickets. Yeah. Awesome. Really really excited. Um, And then my most of my my entire family is from Nebraska, so most of my extended family still lives there. So I'm just going to catch the train from Chicago and spend two or three weeks. Kicking it in Nebraska. That's a uh, May in Nebraska, huh? Yeah, yes, it's May a, in Nebraska. Uh, you might even get some exciting tornadoes that time of year. So, oh, I hope not. <laughs> Had enough tornadoes to last my entire life. I, I used to live in Kansas. It, May, you know, April to May is kind of the exciting time of the year. Sure is. You've been kept down. You've been
Christina, you have a pretty interesting story I want to hear. <laughs> yeah, um, I kind of briefly touched on this. It's a little bit of a long story, so I'm going to try to keep it keep it brief. But um, basically, these two friends that I moved in with, they are they are champion drinkers. They they like their cheap beer, and it is not you know if they're getting down to it on a Friday night, they'll yeah. go through a case without even. Oh man. <laughs> right, right. That's exactly what I said. Um, you know, I really like my beer, but I'm one of those like I'll have a craft beer with dinner yeah. kind of people, and that's mm-hmm. that's like the extent of my drinking. I don't I don't really go hard anymore like I used to. So, <laughs> moving in here for the most part, I've done a really good job of resisting the peer pressure, but there have been a couple of times when you know everyone's just drinking their PBR, and I get kind of sucked into it. And and that led to uh, an interesting conversation. It sounds like it did. It did. Um, I. I'm being honest, I'm not entirely sure how this conversation began or why. Yeah. But <laughs> basically the it was a Tuesday night, which makes it even more embarrassing. <laughs> this happened on a Tuesday. But um Sven and Katie so just, are, just to just to be careful, just to just just to help me understand, embarrassing moments should only happen on particular evenings. <laughs> Well, well, it shouldn't be happening on Tuesdays, that's for sure. Oh, okay, 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 all right, all right. I think it would be slightly less embarrassing if it were not on a work night, but oh, okay, okay. I don't know. Anyway, so Sven and Katie are the two friends that I live with, um, and Sven and I, Katie works early in the morning, so she had gone to bed hours before, and Sven and I ended up just staying up and drinking beer and talking, which we do often, and it's fine, but on that particular evening, for whatever reason, it just kind of kept devolving, and... The result of that was poor Katie getting out of bed at about three in the morning and oh physically God. dragging both of us to bed because we were in the kitchen just screaming at each other about tennis. About just in this <laughs> screaming argument about tennis, which we talked about this the next day and neither of us cares about tennis. We, <laughs> we have no strong feelings about tennis. Oh, what would you argue about about tennis? Like, I don't. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure, but it was very heated. I'm sure. It, I'm sure an argument about tennis it probably went back and forth. <laughs> Good one. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, I'm a dork. So. Not a lot of love. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. Right. Wow. Okay, Craig, do you have yes. anything to confess? Well, I do have something to confess. Okay. I guess. I mean, it's more of a personal thing that I did to myself that was stupid. Okay. Yeah. So um, I make a really, really, really good hard cider. Mm. Uh, it's called it's called uh, hard apple pie, and it tastes just like apple pie. Oh, it's so I good. would like to drink some of that. <laughs> now here's the trick. Now uh, it's it's it ferments so strongly and so quickly. It's really best within the first couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. But it, if you let it go, it actually begins to take on an apple wine kind of a, kind oh, of a character. Sure. Okay. Hmm. okay. Well, when I when I was reading about this on uh, oh yesterday, I was reading some brew sites. Uh, when it takes on that that wine character, even though it doesn't taste bad, uh, mm-hmm. it's maybe not the best thing for you. <laughs> it's poison. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, it's, uh, oh no. And so on uh, the the other day when we were all chatting online, and I went off to go make supper, you know, yeah. stuffed peppers and yeah, all yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, quinoa stuffed peppers. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was I was I was. Uh, had a glass of this um, beverage, and oh I, I 
I, so I, I usually that's when I drink my my beer or whatever is while I'm fixing supper. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so I, I finished my glass, sat down, had one bite of of a salad. And as soon as that bite hit my stomach, the day, the evening was was gone. Oh no! And uh, so I had I basically had food poisoning. Oh, and, oh that's but, terrible. But alcohol poisoning. And uh, what was that? But alcohol poisoning. Well, it wasn't so much the alcohol. I found out there's this specific, there's a there's a type of bacterial bloom that takes place. Oh. That's cider to wine, and it's it's not the alcohol. It's this other bacteria in there. And so I basically had food poisoning. Oh jeez! And um, you know, I've been I've been looking to lose a little bit of weight, and um, so it was it was helpful. <laughs> um, we do not endorse I, my dear lovely wife, who hates hates the sound of of anybody throwing up. Oh yeah! I mean, when the kids oh. were small, that was always my job. <laughs> but um, you know, she she was kind enough to leave the house while I was violently ill. Oh boy. Uh, and and went and bought two bottles of Gatorade and two bottles of Pedialyte. So. Oh yeah, keep you hydrated. Oh my word. Uh, but so my confession is um, being too much of a being too thrifty, saving hard cider when I should not have saved it. I should have just disposed of it. Wow. <laughs> Ooh, that's well, a tough lesson to yeah, learn. Yeah, yeah. But you learned it. You learned it. That's I learned it. <laughs> and I'm I'm up and at it today. Oh boy. Oh, well, how long did it take you to recover? Oh, just. Overnight. Okay. Well, it wasn't yesterday then. It was. Uh, day well, yes, yes, yesterday I laid around. Yeah. So <laughs> okay. Wednesday night, all pretty much through the night, and then just yesterday I laid around and started actually having solid food again. Oh boy. Oof. Crazy man. Well. Crazy. Well, that's two drinking stories. What about you, Cody? <laughs> <laughs> well, can I tell you? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Geez, I don't have a drinking story. Uh, at least that led to any embarrassment. But. Okay, something to work on, something to work on. Okay, well, gosh, let me see. Okay, so this is more of a, uh, okay, so, I, you know, I like books. Like, I like to read books a lot. I have a lot of books. I'm, I collect them. Craig, I've even confessed on here before about my tendency to hoard them, I think. Yep. And, uh, um, but here's my new confession about books. A friend loaned me a book about a year ago. <laughs> And uh, at the time, I was interested in reading it, but over time, I lost interest in reading it. But I'm the type of person who, if I've borrowed the book, I'm going to read it, even if I will force my way through it. So right now, I'm forcing my way through this book that I can't, I'm not interested in in the least. Oh, that's yeah. the worst. Oh, oh. But I feel like now, because I'm essentially at the one-year point, I have to do it to get it back to this guy. Uh, there is also the possibility he's forgotten <laughs> that he gave it to me. <laughs> but I'm running the risk of reading it and giving it back to him. But the confession is that I let it go for so long and also that I'm an uninterested reader and I'm forcing myself to do it. And I probably shouldn't do that because I'm going to end up hating this type of book afterward for a while. <laughs> but anyway. Right. My anyway. seventh grade English teacher gave me some of the best advice yeah. I think I've ever gotten because it stuck in my brain all the way from seventh grade until now. And she said that life is just too short to read a book that you don't enjoy. Uh, that's true. Huh? That's and it's so, so true. true. And there's so many good books out there. So I know it. Stop. What are yeah, you doing? One of the things that, that your story reminded me of, uh, I, I have a, I have a lot of books in my library that yeah. were 
um, I kind of they were, they were given to me after a fellow in uh, my first congregation died. This just wonderful old guy with great uh-huh. great books. Yep. And on the front of the book, he he would of his books he would always write. This book was stolen from the library of, you know, and so, and so I've got I've got all these books that you know have this claim that they belong to somebody else's library. And you're, and you're a thief. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. that's funny. Well, there you go. Those are our confessions. But non-coercively, uh, but always active. Always, I like right. to, I like to use the word wooing is the kind of the word that I yeah like to use or calling. Um, how does that match up or line up? I, I, you're a Wesleyan theologian. How does that line up with prevenient grace and uh, people's uh, response to it? Yeah, it lines up really nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, prevenient grace says that God acts first. Uh, I like to think acting first in every single moment, inviting and empowering us to respond. But we have freedom in how we respond and we can respond uh, appropriately or inappropriately. Mm -hmm. And so this wooing, this calling, this persuading, I will even say commanding uh, is always, you know, acting in ways that provide some possibility for us to respond uh saying yes or no in some kind of way to God. And it's not a, you know, God compelling us or uh, forcing us in some way, but it's God acting and then seeking our response. This connects, uh, I think really well back to your discussion earlier about the the creation as well. And uh, you've been uh, really working to make the connection between evolution and God's work in the world. How does that kind of line up Mm -hmm. this cooperation between nature and God? Yeah, it's basically taking the idea of prevenient grace that we usually think of in terms of humans mm-hmm. and extending it to all creation. That God is present throughout the whole created order and depending on the complexity of the entities, the organisms, the cells, the creatures involved, God acts and presents and calls uh, those things and creatures 
And they have a possibility to respond given the, you know, complexity they have, the limited kind of responsiveness a cell has versus a mouse versus a chimpanzee or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's prevenient grace, God's loving presence, active, wooing, persuading, calling throughout all creation and having done so throughout the history of the universe. So an evolutionary picture it, that includes a very old earth and a very slow uh, change of new species over time fits very nicely yeah. with a God who doesn't coerce but uh, calls and persuades. And yet at the same time, nature can cooperate or choose not to cooperate. There's exactly. There can be resistance there. So um, that kind of leads me to this question. You know, is there then... Because you kind of talked about this infinite creation, you know, a creating, not creation, but infinite creating. Is there a an end goal or a telos then that uh, a God is cooperatively working towards? Yeah, I think there is, although it's a general telos and not necessarily a very specific one. Mm-hmm. So the general telos is God is working for the kingdom of God or flourishing or well-being in whatever forms that can take given the creatures involved for for me and you i think god is working for that telos right now in our lives and i happen to believe in life after death i think god continues to work in the afterlife for that kind of thing and uh god does so in this universe um if if the physicists are correct that this universe will either eventually uh, sort of die out because it will become so dissipated and chaotic, or if it will sometime collapse back into another Big Bang, uh, this universe will have some kind of uh, end. But in my proposal, uh, there'll be another universe that comes after, and God will work to bring the best and good out of whatever happens there and the creatures involved in that universe. Mm. So here's a kind of an interesting question. I don't even know how to word it necessarily. It just popped into my head. But yeah. how does God's, for lack of a better word, memory uh, operate in this? So you, you talk about life after death for us. Um, how do then, how then is there that if potentially this universe stops existing in the way we know it? I think God remembers absolutely everything that ever occurred. In this universe and every universe whatsoever. Um, so God is influenced by creation and that has an effect upon God. And then God in the next moment affects creation and the process is everlasting. It's always ongoing. Hmm. That's good. Um, okay. So you've presented some things here that, uh, to put it mildly, has led to some pushback. Uh, from uh, other people, other avenues and areas. What has what has gotten the most pushback out of all the things that you've kind of presented? So your work on evolution, your work on create. What's the term you use? Creatio al no amore. No, what's the? Uh, yeah, I call it creatio ex creatione in amore. Okay, it's so kind of long. The Latin phrase. <laughs> creation out of love, um, or the cannot or open theology what has received the most pushback you know i don't really know that's a good question um it seems to be different topics for different people you know um for some 
like folks in the pews who are more conservative, it's things like evolution or, uh, you know, I don't believe in what we usually call strict inerrancy of scripture. Mm-hmm. I believe in it that, you know, the Bible gives us truths about God, but doesn't give us the full truth about, you know, the natural world, history, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that really bothers some people. Uh, you know, I would think that the issue of God not being able to do something would create more problems, but it doesn't seem to create as many as, as I would think. Hmm. Um, some people don't like the open theology stuff, but I don't know that that's like really got me in serious trouble. Um, <laughs> maybe it, it has. Ev- is it everything just added up together? <laughs> you know, that's probably, that's usually what I say, Cody, when people ask me, you know, why, why did you get in trouble at NNU? Mm-hmm. I usually say, well, it, there's a variety of factors, but it probably comes down to this. I care about the biggest and most difficult questions we face as humans. I'm not afraid to ask those questions, and I'm not afraid to look for answers, mm. even if they're unconventional. Mm. And um, I think that makes some people nervous. Sure. You kind of hinted at it there and brought it up. Can you kind of tell us briefly, because, you know, I don't want to rehash old things, but uh, what has your journey been like these last two or three years in um, in relation to academia? Yeah, it's hard to tell the story without going into all the details. <laughs> but uh, uh, just real briefly, a year and a half ago, well, actually almost two years ago now, mm-hmm. um, I guess it, yeah. I was uh, laid off from my job at NNU. The reason for the official reason for my layoff had was said to be a um, dip in enrollment in theology. But um, just about everyone recognizes that that was not the real reason why I was laid off. And um, it's not clear exactly which of the theological reasons were. It probably is fairest to say that the president to laid me off, um, decided that uh, he was getting more uh, negative feedback from folks than he would like, and it made sense to him to um, get rid of me. And that's just me speculating. I don't sure, know if that's sure. the case, but I think it's a fair speculation. Yeah. And so, yeah, and not a very pleasant thing. But yeah. How did that situation test what you say you are and who you are? That's a good question. Um, I, throughout the whole process, kept saying to myself, whatever I do, I am going to do my best to live a life of love. No matter what happens in what situation, I'm going to do what is loving. Now, it wasn't always clear to me what the most loving thing to do in any situation, but I kept in mind the common good, the overall well-being. So actually, the president a year before had tried to force me out and had offered, uh, you know, uh, me a package, severance package to leave. And um, in the process of thinking about that, I realized that if I chose to stay, it would put me and my family under a great deal of stress. And... um, But because I think love acts for the common good, 
I believed it was in the best interest of the university and the students and the larger community that I stay instead of leave. And so um, I tried to keep those principles in mind in every step of the way uh, through a very long and complicated process. Uh, It's still kind of, I mean, obviously it's still fresh. In fact, it's still happening. You're still going through the process. But how has that experience shaped you as a theologian now, just even in the last year? Have have you adjusted anything? Has it made you want to change anything that you thought of or deepen anything that you thought of? I don't know that it's changed me that much, but it's taught me several things. It's taught me a lot about forgiveness. Mm. You know, um, I've always wanted to be a forgiving person and I have forgiven uh, those involved in this situation. But until you're in the situation, it's not always clear some of the details and the nuances of what forgiveness entails. I mean, a lot of people think that forgiveness means you're not even supposed to remember anything. And then you're not supposed to think that the person who hurt you should have to pay any consequences. Right. Uh, I think there's lots of misunderstandings of what forgiveness means. And so I've been doing a lot of learning firsthand about forgiveness, but also reading and and trying to get clear in my mind uh, what forgiveness really means. Mm, that's good. Now, one of the surprising things that kind of way, maybe it's not too surprising because NNU is a big institution for the area, but uh, the Idaho Statesman ran a report on it, and I think uh, News Channel, I forget which one, they did a series on it. Do you think those two, uh, do you think it was handled fairly in the media, the, the stories that they did? Um, well, oh, largely, yes. Um, you know, early on, I chose not to engage the media directly, you know, give interviews and that sort of thing. Other people spoke and, um, I didn't think it was appropriate for me to do that. And when the final decision was made and, I was out and I had negotiated a severance that allows me uh, to teach part time for up to three years while I try to find another job. At that time, I made an official statement. I did a video of it um, and talked about some issues. And then uh, a year later, um, uh, I actually did sit down with the folks from the statesman and give them some more details about things. Um It wasn't so much uh, my attempt to set the record straight as much as it was. I was worried that uh, changes were not going to be made at NNU that would would help out my colleagues that were still there. And so, you know, when when I read the the follow-up story of the statesman a year after everything went down, I thought the person did a fair job of getting the facts correct. You know, but as a person who lives through there, I always, you know, I read things and think, yeah, but what about this? You know, and he didn't add this and there's this and that and the other, you know. Um, but yeah, that's probably too much to ask for that sure. kind of a story. Sure. You kind of mentioned there you wanted to make sure there were certain changes that happened for your colleagues who were staying there. But what I want to ask is now, how has something like this, because this is not just one isolated incident, things like this are happening across, um, especially in 
seminaries and theological schools. Things like this are happening around the country. Um, what does that say about the state of academia? What needs to change or what can be fixed? Uh, and how has your relationship with academia changed because of this? Well, on the first question, I know quite a few people who have been let go, fired, or whatever by institutions. And in every instance, the story is kind of unique, you know. Um, and so it's hard for me to make broad generalizations. Um, the best I can do is to say things like um, there are people in power who have uh, things they think are important, and those things don't always mesh well with things like academic freedom and interpretation of doctrine in light of what the best theologians have thought. So uh, those are just kind of the best I can sort of the broad generalizations in terms of my own relation to the Academy. Um, you know, I don't think it's hurt it any, I'm trying to find another job and that's really hard to do mm-hmm. in this climate. Uh, It's hard because a lot of places are cutting back. It's hard because, you know, a lot of places want more uh, people of diversity of color, you know, more women, et cetera. And I'm a white male. And so there's a lot of people like me already in those in positions. So it's hard to get a good job and I haven't found one yet. Yeah. Um, Maybe we could just uh, round up all of you professors who've kind of gone through something similar and just make a new uh, university or institution, huh? <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> the rad- what, I don't would call it the rebel seminary or the outlaw seminary. Or something like that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of other areas of life, though, this uh, theology, this uh, way of thinking about creation, nature, um, I think it's probably also connected to what you have as a passion of photography and uh, getting out into nature. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit, your your hobby that you've pursued pretty seriously? Yeah, yeah. I do a lot of hiking and photographing in nature. I do it for a bunch of different reasons. It's a way to sort of get out of the stress of my daily life. It's a way to get out and pray. It's a way to enjoy the natural world. It's a way to express or make beauty through my photography it's a, a way to get some exercise. Um, there's all kinds of pluses and reasons that I do it, but I hike probably on average once a week. I've done some really long trips. I mm-hmm. hiked the, uh, from the, the, the bottom to the top of Idaho one year, yeah. which is almost a thousand miles. And awesome. last summer I did the John Muir Trail in California. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a, a big part of, my life in a sense i mean this is what i think of um you're kind of uh cataloging how nature has responded well or maybe even not well to god's call you you know i kind of view it that way a little bit yeah i like that you know there's some really profound beauty in in the world but there's also some real ugliness Mm -hmm. and um that i think about those issues as i'm on the trail and you know encounter animals and that's the way i think about animals just changed over time uh so i'm i'm learning while i'm on the trail and my theology and my theological reflection never leaves me yeah i think i remember one time uh you i believe you had a picture of a i think it was a rattlesnake and your instant your first impulse you said was to you know to kill it cuz that's kind of you were raised on a farm and 
Yep. Uh, and, and that's what you do. That's what I did growing up. You know, you killed the rattlesnakes, but something stopped you. What, what changed? Yeah. Um, I started thinking that, uh, there's no, unless there's a really good reason to kill it, you know, somebody's life's in danger or something. Uh, there's no good reason just to kill for the sake of killing. Um, and I shouldn't think of rattlesnakes and coyotes and some of these, these creatures that as a kid, uh, on a farm, we thought were always going to be harmful. I, I shouldn't think of them as harmful and always needing to be um, erased from the planet, but they're also God's creatures. They have a role to play. They have some intrinsic value. And unless I have really strong reasons for being rid of them, I need to let them be. Absolutely. Uh, Craig said something earlier in the comments, and so I want to get, get to that real quick. He, he mentioned, and and I've when I posted today, you know, can I get any questions for uh, for Tom? A couple of different people who threw around the H word, uh, heretic. Uh, oh. Not not necessarily that they thought you were, but that you had maybe been labeled that by other people. Um, do you feel like that that's true that people have labeled you that? Because I know you've gone through a process of people actually asking you questions, and they came back with this idea: No, he's 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 orthodox. He's within the realm, maybe on the fringes of it, but he's within the. He's within the stream. So what's your response to that when people throw around the H word? Well, my first response is I don't think of myself as a heretic. Mm -hmm. My second response is the people who know theology best don't call me a heretic. Right, right. And my third response is I went through a trial and the results of the trial were that I was not a heretic. So <laughs> I think the word heretic is thrown around by people they use it whenever they encounter some ideas that are unusual uh, the, something they haven't heard before mm -hmm. maybe that they think are liberal for sure. some some reason or another and so they throw that word around um and so it doesn't really bother me unless someone uses it who i think is actually knows theology or has some sort of position of right. power in, in the church right. then i i take a little more careful notice Hmm. Um, yeah, what Craig said, and I, I wanted to throw this in here is when you were talking about, uh, essential kenosis and, and cooperating with God's woo, wooing call, he said, Oh, yeah, Tom's not a heretic. He's just Wesleyan. <laughs> yeah, that's what I like to think. And unfortunately, you know, I'm in the Wesleyan tradition. Some in the tradition, when they hear me speak, they don't realize it's just good Wesleyan theology. Right. They just compare it to what they've heard on the radio or on TV or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and not everything I say fits perfectly within traditional Wesleyan theology, but yep. a lot of the stuff people get worried about really is just traditional Wesleyan thinking. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I want to ask you just uh, briefly your thoughts on some current maybe cultural issues and how – uh, essential kenosis or um, your way of thinking or theology responds to those things. So, for example, we had one person ask about um, homosexuality or gender identity issues. How does essential kenosis respond to those issues today? Yeah, I mean, uh, two come quickly to mind. Uh, one, you know, is, as you mentioned, the LGBT issues. Um, I think on that one, folks tend to revert to um, kind of a, a ways of thinking about morality that aren't always in line with love. One of the most common ones is to sort of set up a list of do's and don'ts. 
and um, have this list and say, you know, if, if uh, homosexual behavior is on the list of don'ts, well, there it is on the list. Therefore, it's in all times, in all places, the wrong thing to do. Um, love, it seems to me, doesn't have those kinds of lists as um, maybe it has lists, but it doesn't have them as the kinds of things that apply to every kind of uh, person, every situation. At least if there is a list, it's a really small one. Um, and so when it comes to LGBT stuff, uh, I'll, I'll focus really on homosexuality and, and leave the transgender uh, and, tra- and bisexual thing aside for a second. Um, I think we need to l- think about these issues in the light of love and ask the question of whether or not homosexual behavior uh, promotes overall well-being. And in light of that kind of question, uh, it seems to me some very good and wise Christians have said, no, uh, sometimes homosexual behavior does promote overall well-being, not all the time, just like heterosexual behavior doesn't always promote overall well-being. But um, we can think about instances in, in relationships, especially committed monogamous relationship between same-sex couples that does promote overall well-being that is loving and therefore should be accepted. Uh, the other one I think that's it's like in the front of my face practically every day is what to do with our current president, President yes, Trump. exactly where I was going to go. Yeah, I mean, um, this is really hard because um, I, I think he says and does things that contradict what at least I believe a loving person should do and say. Yeah. He's in a position of power. Uh, and we ought to respect that position and a person who is elected to that position. We need to uh, try to give a fair and balanced and charitable interpretation. But we also should not stand for things that we think go against uh, Christian love. Mm-hmm. And in my view, many of uh, President Trump's statements, his policies, don't express well love as I understand it as a Christian. And so... Um, that means I have to figure out how best to express my dissatisfaction with those statements and policies and things uh, while at the same time not resorting to the kinds of behavior that I think are unloving, that are uh, vindictive or name calling or uh, character assassinations or things like that. So the task, in my view, of the of the Christian today who wants to live a life of love is to figure out how to oppose those things in Donald Trump's presidency and his language and his character that we find objectionable without uh, being unloving in the process. How about the issue of, you know, more and more these days, the issue of globalism and now if we believe God is working all the time with everybody wooing and calling um <clears throat> How about the idea of only one religion, you know, only Christianity? Or do you think that God is work is God uh, working in other wisdom and faith traditions in the same way? And do we have a responsibility to call people away from those traditions or work with God as God is working in those traditions? Yeah, um, I think God is present to all people at all times. And the faith statements, faith, wisdom, narrative, traditions other than Christianity can uh, provide glimpses and give truths uh, to uh, who God is. I'm a Christian, 
because I happen to think that particular tradition has some things that I find more valuable than the other traditions, but it's not like I think that other traditions have no value whatsoever. So in thinking about my interaction with those of other faith traditions, I first want to listen and try to learn. And those places in where I see mutuality and, and things that, that correspond well to what I find valuable in my tradition, I rejoice in them. In those things that don't fit well, then I try to think carefully about what I should do in light of them. In many instances, it, I don't do anything. I just say, well, they look at things differently. If there's an instance in which I think is profoundly unloving, then I'm willing to uh, voice my objection to those things in another religion. Yep. Uh, if it's something that I just don't think makes a lot of sense, I'll do that as well. Mm -hmm. But I try to do that in humility, saying I haven't got it all figured out, but this is the best that or what seems best in uh, my way of thinking. Mm, that's good. All right. So we'll I, this, uh, conversation has just flown by, but we have been going for an hour. That's, uh, it's, oh, wow. It's, I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's, uh, I just love talking with you because that happens. And, and I've expressed this to you before, but I want to, first of all, congratulations on winning the Reader's Choice Award for your book, your book. Hey, thanks. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That was awesome. Time. Um, and I want to say thank you for the gift that it was, as I expressed to you, I think in a message, how I was able to share it, like with my mother, for example, who, and then we were able to have good conversations about it. You know, she understood the text, even though it's, it is deep philosophy and theology. Um, it's still connected really well, you know, for the, yeah. lay, the lay reader. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. I really tried to write in language that not maybe everyone can understand it, but at least more people can understand it than the typical sort of sophisticated theology book. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So we usually end our, um, conversations with people we're interviewing with a series of questions. And we ask okay. everybody these questions. So the first one is, what are you drinking? So what's your drink? What would you, what's your go-to drink right now? Right now in front of me is hot green tea. Mm. I probably drink uh, half a gallon of hot green tea nearly every day. Oh, wow. Excellent. Okay. What are you watching? So is there a, series on Netflix that's really caught your attention or what would you recommend to someone to start watching or maybe, you know, some Ted talk or something like that. You know, I don't watch a lot of TV, uh, but last night I got caught up in a PBS special on this tribe. I, I watch a lot of PBS, yeah, good stuff. but I, Right now, there's a show on that I don't even know the name of, but it's about this tribe in the Omo Valley of Ethiopia mm -hmm. that have a practice of killing their children to avoid overpopulation. Oh, wow. Man, it's a powerful, powerful thing. So if anyone's listening to this, check out PBS, something to do with the Omo uh, Valley in Ethiopia. Oh, wow. Crazy. Uh, what are you reading? Blog or books or anything right now that's kind of at the top of your list? Yeah, the reason I don't watch a lot of TV is because I read an awful yeah, lot. There you go. And so, <laughs> so uh, let's see. Next to my bed at the moment uh, is a manuscript from a friend named Mark Karras on petitionary prayer that takes some of my ideas from this Uncontrolling Love book and hmm. applies them to prayer. Ooh, a yeah. book on cosmology and the reality of time that argues that physicists have failed to take the reality of time seriously. 
a, a book on how to write well because I'm always trying to become a better writer. Yeah. And let's see one other. Oh, and a book called um, uh, Oh Rants. What's the name of it? Something about compassion. It's basically anthropology and archaeology uh, of compassion, saying that we've looked at the bones from the oldest humans on the planet and made all kinds of strange interpretations about how the people must have been violent when they really, we don't need to make that kind of interpretation. Oh, man. Um, when uh, we're done recording, if you uh, could uh, email us a list of those books, like the titles, so that people can oh. look for those. Yeah, awesome. I will. What are you listening to? So it can either be like some music that's really catching your attention or a uh, podcast that maybe you're uh, interested in. This morning when I went out on my walk, I listened to The Liturgist, a podcast Ooh, by stuff. Science Mike and um, uh, Michael Gunger, I think it is. Yep, yep. So, yeah, podcast I listen. That's a good one. Yes. we Craig and I recommend that one with two thumbs. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a good one. And finally, the final question. Well, actually, there's one more after this, but the final in this series is um, – if we came and visited you, where would you take us to eat? Wow, good question. <laughs> I'd probably take you to the restaurant I frequent so much that they know my order when I walk in. And that is a Thai restaurant down mm. on 12th Street here in Nampa. Delicious. Thai Express. Mm, awesome. Yeah. Good choice. All right, so now the final thing is share with our listeners how they can connect with you, uh, follow along with your work, uh, maybe buy your book, things like that. Sure. Um, I have a website that's under my name, thomasjor.com. Um, I suppose you could spell that out maybe in the show notes or something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, you can interact with me there. It's got a list of things I'm doing where I'm speaking, books, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, actually, when you're there, you know, I would encourage you to sign up for my newsletter because I give away lots of stuff on my newsletters yep. each month. Um, you can buy my book, you know, uh, just about anywhere, Amazon, whatever, any of my books are there. Mm -hmm. So probably the best way is to, through my website. Very cool. Excellent. And the, uh, pretty soon people will be able to buy the books with a brand new sticker on it that says People's Choice Award, right? <laughs> I don't know if they're going to do that. That's a, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah. It would be. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for your time and uh, uh, devoting it to us. We might. End up making this a two-parter, Craig. I don't know. That that could be a potential because there's too many. Yeah, there's 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 plenty plenty of things we we didn't even get into. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, we were wondering if maybe down the road we could get you back on again and we could just talk about something super focused like prayer, maybe or something like that. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And actually, you know, this brings me up another idea. Um, I have the uncontrolling love on audio. Mm. Yes. And there are like eight chapters. I will give them to you free if you post them on your podcast site. Absolutely. In other words, I'll send you a link to my Google Drive. You okay. can download them. And if you give them away free to whoever's on your site, then, you know, they don't even have to buy the book unless they want the print version. Oh, awesome. But, you know, they'd have to That'd listen to my voice reading. But you know. <laughs> That's fine by me. That's cool, man. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. That's great. Thanks. All right. Well. Okay, I think uh, that probably wraps it up for us. We don't need another mountain. 
There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last till the end of time. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing. That there's just too little love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Oh, we don't need another meadow. There are cornfields. And wheat fields enough to grow. There are sunbeams and moonbeams, see enough to shine. Listen, Lord, if you want to know what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just. To live love, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Let me take just a second here to thank you, our listeners, for checking out the podcast and for your words of encouragement and support. I know what you're probably thinking about right now. You're thinking, this podcast is alright, not bad, not bad. And maybe you're also thinking, I wonder how this podcast could possibly get any better. Well, first of all, thank you for thinking that. And secondly, oh, it can. You see, we're just learning. We're just getting started. And one thing that we've learned so far is that we need to upgrade our tech, our sound equipment, and pretty much everything else. We're also learning putting this show together takes a little bit of scratch, if you know what I mean. A few sticks of cheddar. Money. I'm, I'm talking about money. And this is where you come in. If this podcast is something that you enjoy, something you'd like to see continue, something you'd like to see get better and better, would you please consider donating a little something-something? If you're interested, you can find us at www.themissionplace.org slash allthatsholybluecollar. Look for the donate button at the bottom of the page. We happen to fall under the auspices of The Mission Place, which is a 501c3 organization that is like a network of guides and teachers for developing gifts for service. A partner for those who are called to service within the church and basically a a resource for those who love the church. Through partnerships with multiple organizations, institutions, and churches, the Mission Place brings together gifted individuals to work together for specific projects. Now, all of your donations to help the podcast are tax-deductible for this reason, and any extra we receive that does not go directly to the show will be given to the Mission Place and its good cause. There will be further avenues to help us with the podcast coming in the future like maybe a patreon page for example but in the meantime we want to thank you again for listening and considering donating to the all that's holy blue collar podcast Is love.
I got something to give thanks for. Okay, let's uh, Okay, here we go. Craig. Yes. What do you have to be thankful for? <laughs> well, um I have a lot to be thankful for. Yes, you do. Yeah, so but I read something I heard well, I heard something today on NPR that I was just so excited about. And to me it made me feel happy in my heart. Okay. Do tell. But uh uh, a friend of mine, a woman in our church, had spent some time in Philadelphia mm-hmm. not too long ago. Oh, about, I guess, three or four years ago with what was called the New Sanctuary Movement. Yeah, Shane Claiborne. Uh, no, that's... Oh, um, oh no. He's, he's, oh, okay. Never mind. He, he's associated with it, but he's part of a different organization. Right, right, right. But, uh, you know, it was picking up on some of the pieces from the 80s when there were sanctuary movements in churches trying mm-hmm. to give safe uh, refuge. To um, to people seeking uh, safety from generally from Central America with all the revolutions and, right. and civil wars that were going on down there. Well, what they are doing now is they are doing um, trainings so that they can kind of have like a, like a flash mob, but a flash church. Oh, because immigration um, uh, enforcement they tend not to come into a sanctuary to right. remove some. Right, but. Uh, if you have a group of people who gather together in a home and become a flash house church, ah. they're singing songs, they're praying while they have, you know, somebody who's an immigrant. Yeah, so sanctuary right there. Then it creates this mobile sanctuary. That's very cool. Ah. And, and uh, the, the Boise mayor said, you know, that he's not going to use the police in, in, in Boise to to uh, do immigration policing. Mm-hmm. but. You know, I don't think Canyon County, Nampa, Caldwell, some of those other cities in the area have done have have moved in that direction. Yeah, and um, you know they haven't talked about. I think they've res- re- resisted the idea of becoming sanctuary cities. Right. But I thought that would be so cool to be a part of something like that. And I'm just I think that's really kind of thinking outside of the norms to think of ways of creating safe spaces for people in an instant. I just mm. I. Anyway, I'm so grateful for that. I think it's so cool. That's awesome. I love it. You'll have to link. We'll link it. We'll have to link to it. That, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, their interview or whatever it was report. Yeah, I, I was reading yesterday about um, the whole sanctuary movement and things like that because here we actually, the city council actually had kind of a discussion about should we be a sanctuary city. Uh, we're just a tiny little town, but I mean we have you know um, we have immigrants that come through. And undocumented workers that come through all the time during uh, harvest season, um, and so they discussed it and decided not to. But I think as a church, we're going to have a conversation about you know what what role we want to maybe play in helping and and uh, yeah, and being a part of a, a sanctuary movement. I think so. Yeah. One of the things that makes it unique in Idaho, and this was on uh, picked up on the national news as well. Uh, being the third largest uh, dairy state, right. dairy producer, mm-hmm. that's a non-seasonal uh, migrant worker yep. issue. And yep. to have migrant workers throughout the year, I guess, is 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 a is a significant challenge. Yeah. And so you have you have some place as as conservative as you know the Twin Falls area, mm-hmm. um, huge dairy producer. Having to push back against yep. uh, the latest, uh, you know, immigration issues. Yeah, I thought so that, I think that, that was really cool. That's kind of a dynamic um, 
dynamic time. Uh-huh. I think it's kind of cool. Yep. So, Christina, one of the things we did a two-minute warning a few recordings ago about what are the positives that will come out of the Trump administration. Right. And, yeah, you uh, mentioned that. And uh, I, like, Craig made me believe I had to honestly think of something really positive that could happen, <laughs> like that he would do. So I made my answer, cause, and I racked my brain like, okay, what could possibly? And both he and Justin come back with the only thing good that's going to happen is that we will never, hopefully, ever fall for this ever again. <laughs> like, we'll wake up from all of this, and it, yeah. it'll be like waking up with a, a hangover, but but it will be waking yeah. up. Yeah, my, 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 my metaphor was waking up in Las Vegas, realizing that in your drunken stupor, you married the wrong person <laughs> at the chapel on the street. So. <sighs> That's so appropriate. It's a little depressing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is kind of a wake-up call. Yep. <laughs> and I so, hope so. I, I guess hope you're right that it is a wake-up call. It, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, in some ways, I mean, like, so he, he lists uh, dairy farmers in Twin Falls. I mean, I would have never suspected a farmer from Idaho to to stand up against a <laughs> right. Republican administration. But, yeah, so that's pretty cool. And I guess so in one sense I am kind of thankful that uh, this is my thankfulness, that that is happening. I mean, people are getting way more engaged and involved and showing up at meetings and making their voices heard. I mean, they're getting you know, denounced for it and being told that they're just paid <laughs> paid protesters, but still they're showing up and engaging in the process. I, I'm pretty thankful for that. For sure. Personally. Christina, what do you got to be thankful for? Boy, you guys had these, like, profound big picture things. And <laughs> well, that's now I'm, gonna, guys, I'm just going to talk about myself for a minute. So. Do it. Do it. <laughs> okay, so um, I guess not entirely about myself, but what I'm thankful for is having really good friends and a great support system here in Boise Mm -hmm. because I had a kind of a funny situation happen in the last month where since I'm planning on leaving the country, I had broken the lease on my apartment and was going to move in to a friend's house and house sit for her while she's off traveling the world. And then that kind of fell through at the last minute. She got in this big fight with her landlord and ended up giving up her house. So Mm. I suddenly had, was faced with three weeks and nowhere to live. And it was a very stressful situation. And um, I just moved into this house with a couple of friends who, you know, within minutes of me making my frantic Facebook post saying, if anyone knows of an apartment for rent, they, they sent me a text and said, Hey, we have our spare bedroom and awesome. come hang out here. So save love me it. from homelessness. Yeah. Or I love it. Yep. <clears throat> moving in with my mom more realistically. Yeah, right. No, that's good. That's an awesome thing. Yeah, I've, there's many times in my life where I found that uh, without those connections, I'd be adrift myself. Yeah. yeah, for sure. It was very cool of them. And it's a super fun house to live in. So.
have a question, and it's it's so topical. It turned out to be. Okay. Um, so I was terrible at reading books last year. Yeah. I did a very bad job. And so I pledged <laughs> to get back into reading every day this year. And I want to know, what is your very favorite book that you have ever read and why? And what is the worst book you've ever read and why? <laughs> okay, Craig, I'll let you start. You're 45 seconds. The best book... I have ever read. I've already referenced it. I, I, I'd put uh, The World According to Garp up there on that list. Okay. I, I, I'm going to write all these down and add them I, to my list for this year. I so. reference that book all the time, huh? In so many different situations, it spiritual direction, adult faith development, um, how to be a crazy wrestling coach. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Um, just, oh, I just, I, I, such a great, great book. Yeah, I really love it. Now, the book that, that I hate, I think I just, it's just, it's, um, I just, it it it's terrible. It's called Statistics Alive Second Edition. <laughs> Say no more. You don't need to explain. Yeah, that's. Oof. I'm taking a statistics class right now. Oh jeez. Reading a math book with a bunch of Greek letters just doesn't help. That's Even though I know Greek, but it doesn't spell Greek words. Oh man, that was funny. Time. Okay. <laughs> Solid, book, solid answer. Yeah, looking. Okay, so my favorite book um, that I always, it comes right up as soon as people ask this question, it's a book called Silence by Shizaku Indo. And it actually got turned into a movie, uh, Martin Scorsese. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, recently released it. And I love it because it's full of, I mean, it's, it's amb- ambiguous. It has, it, it's dealing with uh, these two uh, priests who go to Japan and they're looking for a priest who got detained there, and they haven't heard from him. And Japan at the time is like a torturing uh, folk. So anyway, they go search for him, and it's just full of moral ambiguity, doubt, questions of wrestling with, uh, you know, when does faith, what does faith look like in the middle of that kind of stuff. So that's my favorite. And that's actually into time, but I'd say the worst book is the book I'm reading right now, which is... (laughs) It's called, not even yours. <laughs> it's called Paul and New Perspectives by N.T. Wright, who I like usually. But right now I'm just not in the mood for it. And so probably if you ask me later, it'll be a different book. But right now that's it. So Fair enough. <laughs> and, Christina, now the question goes back to you. What's your favorite okay. book and your least favorite? Oh, My very favorite book of all time is The Great Gatsby. Ooh, yeah. um, I think the writing is just so gorgeous. And that book has always been really formative for me because when I read it in school, I was so inspired by how beautiful – F. Scott Fitzgerald's writing is, that's what made me want to be a writer. So, it's a very important book to me. Um, My least favorite book is one that I just read recently because it was on the shelf of the house that I just moved into and I just (laughs) grabbed it because I Mm -hmm. thought it looked interesting. And I'm actually ashamed to say this after I gave my advice earlier, but I read that whole book (laughs) even though it was terrible. I read the entire thing. Uh, It's called Girl's Guide to Homelessness. Oh, boy. It's about a, a woman who has lost her job at the beginning of the recession and started living in an RV in the Walmart parking lot. And I thought it would be a really interesting look at, you know, yeah. the day-to-day life of a homeless woman. But right. it actually was just a... It, it was all about her terrible relationship decisions and how oh, those yeah. contributed to continuing to be homeless. And okay. I got very annoyed very quickly. I could understand that. All right, and that was time. And we did it. Can I, I, I have another favorite book. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> um, the, uh, well, let's see. I'm looking at it right here on the shelf. It is Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing by Ooh. Soren Kierkegaard. 
Ooh, I love Kierkegaard. That, that, that's definitely one of my favorites. You know, Right Decided is another favorite by... Here we go, here we uh, go. Christoph Wolf called Exclusion and Embrace. That's yeah, a really good that one. that is a good one. Yeah. Um, then, uh, okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> 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 that's rough. 